there. Welcome to this episode of Tennessee Farm to Family. Let our team of extension agents bring the farm to your family. We'll explore all things agriculture and talk about how it gets to your table, fridge, or pantry. Meet farmers, stomp out misinformation, and grab a sneak peek into agri-search and outreach efforts. On this episode, we are going to start our myth-busting saga and figure out why and when did GMO become a dirty word. Uh, I'm so excited to have our co-host here and folks that will give us more information about that, Dr. Larry Steckel with the University of Tennessee and also Mr. Philip Shelby. So guys, you just take a few minutes and introduce yourself and we'll tackle this topic. Okay, Tracy, it's good to be with you here this morning. Uh, I'm Larry Steckel. I have an extension weed specialist here with the University of Tennessee uh, and I'm officed here at West Tennessee Research and Education Center and my charge is to help growers try and navigate weed management challenges in cotton, corn, soybeans, and wheat. Hey, I'm Philip Shelby, UT Extension Agent in Gibson County, joining Tracy Sullivan and Larry Steckel uh, on the myth-busting session of GMOs. Yes. Uh, GMO, when did it become a dirty word? Uh, we're going to dive into that a little bit. So I know uh, it seems like it's been around forever and people love to get, get on the GMO bandwagon. But I just wonder how, how many people know what it means. So let's, let's talk about that and try to figure out when did GMOs become a dirty word. Yeah, what is it? What does it mean, Larry? <laughs> well, it's short for genetically modified organism, Philip. Uh, and, uh, and it's specifically refers to, well, and really the first time it came out was when the Roundup Ready trade came out from Monsanto. And in my recollection, that's when it started becoming a dirty word because Monsanto's everybody's favorite person to hate. Um, yeah, that's when, the second dirty word. Right? Yeah, that's two dirty words together. <laughs> and when the environmental groups had Monsanto and GMOs put together, they linked them as a dirty word. But at, it basically means putting a gene, in this case, in a plant, uh, that gave it tolerance to a herbicide. It's one gene that produces one protein that gives it tolerance to a herbicide. But was that the first time GMOs were introduced? No, they've been around a long time. So uh, a good example is insulin. So I think most, you know, insulin was first used or developed and used, and it was first, I think, in, in swine. I'm not a medical that's doctor right. by any, but mm. that's where it was. But I think most folks would be surprised that all the insulin today is made via GMOs instead of being produced by swine, it's produced by bacteria that have a gene in them to make the insulin. And, and almost all your pharmaceuticals you all use out there are made by GMOs, have been for a long time, and that's never been associated with being evil. That's always been good. Yeah. But, but it changed when Monsanto came out with the Roundup Ready trait. Gotcha, gotcha. So there's a reality to things, right? Yeah. Uh, I'll never forget, of course, I grew up uh, with people like Larry Steckel on the experiment station doing research and I remember the times before any GMOs were available but uh, the, the things that we're doing with GMOs is uh, overcoming uh, natural limitations okay and so uh, I had a farmer come into the office and herbicides that we've been using for a number of years uh, failed to to work and uh, that entire family of chemistry, uh, cockleburr had become resistant. And we had uh, conducted research, and the following year, Larry, was when Roundup Ready 
soybeans hit the market. You know, we took an impossible situation uh, back to we were obtaining the 100% wheat control. And in these things that are being uh, developed are answering very important issues. Uh, and really, it's not the three-headed monster that uh, folks uh, make it out to be. You know, the I remember when they came out with uh, GMOs and that just the, the, the term, the, the, the uh, genetically modified organism, I mean, it, it does kind of strike. Sounds scary. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it makes you think of, a, a, you know, a, a, an old time horror movie or something. Right. You know? But it, it, it's, it's the difference between terminology and the science community and general public. And I, I think most of uh, the fears... Uh, look at look at the marketing aspect of uh, it's like you know non-GMO. Well, if you don't know what a GMO is, if you don't, you know if you're operating from a consumer standpoint and not have the the information to exp to know what it means, uh, like Larry explained, it's it's an old technology that's been around for a long time, and and uh, in the context of the insulin that you referred to. Most people would see that as being, you know, that's a that's a game changer. That's a that's an absolute blessing and benefit. But uh, when it comes to agriculture, they tend to take a different road. But uh, the GMOs is really where most of our uh, or a lot of our gains in production have have occurred. Right. Two things to that. I will say that. You know, adding non-GMO to something is that never could have been. I mean, that happens all the time in the supermarket. That has never been a GMO and will never be a GMO. Um, but it's a it's adding value to a product for doing absolutely nothing. Um, you just put something on the label that is taking advantage of the uninformed. Yeah. So we're trying to inform you folks here. Uh, you do have, it's a, absolutely a right to make a decision and purchase what you want to purchase, but we want you to be informed and make those decisions based on sound science. And so that's why we've got two great scientists here uh, to talk with you a little more about it. Um, another thing you mentioned, uh, something out of a horror movie, I scouted cotton for several years and some of those patches of Cucklebur before Roundup Ready <laughs> yeah. was a horror movie. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> I recall the farm. It's like, you know, I didn't think I was coming out of there. Yeah. I thought this is this will be where I will say my last words. Yeah, yeah. But uh, th those weeds were robbing yield just left and right for farmers. And it was so nice to say, oh, this is a Roundup Ready field. Weed free you know, just easy to walk, easy to scout, just made a, it was a game changer. Sure. You know, Cucklebur was one of the top three weeds uh, back in the early 70s, 80s when I was working here on the experiment station as a summer worker, you know. Uh, so it was one of the things that we, uh, it was a major hurdle in production. And so sure when was. the Ready Technology came on, uh, it made it a non-issue. You know. And I can't tell you the last time I've seen a cucklebur. It might have been then. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. it was lights out for the cucklebur population. It was. <laughs> it, was a, it was a big cure for it, no doubt. No so doubt. talk a little bit about the benefits. We'll we'll get into the benefits for consumers, but and we're 
on the cusp of, you know, what has that technology genetically engineered or genetically modified products uh, meant for agriculture? Oh, one is yield. When I first got here 17 years ago, what was standard soybean yield? It was 35 bushel, 40. Or less, yeah. Yeah, now we're making 50 to 60 pretty regular, you know, same way with cotton, same way with corn. So we're able to produce a lot more on the same or even less land. Uh, folks, I think would be be surprised to know there's a lot more forested land in the state of Tennessee now than there was 150 years ago. And so you got a lot more diversity in, in the landscape because of it. Other, otherwise, we needed to feed people. So, Well, in the urban sprawl, uh, it's, it's an astounding figure when you see how many acres are taken out of production and into homes and into roads and... Uh, you know, it's it's a, and naturally those things are, are going to be consuming uh, the higher classes of, of land, mostly uh, uh, agriculture uh, production land, and so the the need for uh, advancing our production capabilities is is it's not a choice. It, it, it's something that. We have to do. We have to do. Mm -hmm. we got a lot of people we're going to have to feed in the next 10, 20, 30 years. And, and one of the best ways to get there is using and embracing some of this new technology. It's very safe and very effective. If you think of the crops we grow today, like corn, it came from a grassy weed called teosinte 10,000 years ago. And it's a great gift from our ancestors that they were able to genetically modify it, <laughs> quite frankly, <laughs> from being a grassy weed to the corn plant you see today. Uh, but it took 10,000 years to get there. We don't have 10,000 years to feed another billion people on the planet in the next 25 to 30 years. So we've got to embrace technology to do it. And one of the ways is, is with using genetically modified organisms. Well, I think it's important at this point in time that we go back and address the fact that the benefits that we're getting from the GMOs is, uh, one, it helps us address the, the yield robbing effects of weeds, insects, and diseases. And so uh, with that, uh, I said diseases. I'm not sure diseases is a, a GMO. Not uh, yet. Not yet. Yeah. So insects and weeds, weeds. primarily. Yeah. But those are major uh, yield yeah. robbing components to the production scheme. And, and able to do that by using less pesticides. And that's probably one of the best benefits of this is when the GMO technologies came out, like the Roundup Ready trait, it dramatically reduced uh, the amount of herbicides a lot of our farmers have to use. Our, our farmers don't want to really use herbicides. They're expensive <laughs> and they're a pain in the backside to, to apply. Um, so if they don't have to, they won't. Um, yeah. But uh, these GMOs allowed that to happen. Now, it's somewhat backed up because we've got some resistance issues, but still, we're not using near the pesticides today. We did just 20 years ago, and we're making a lot better yields. Yeah. yeah. Even the BT technology introduced shortly after the Roundup Ready technology, uh, I'll go back to my cotton scouting days. You know, it's so disheartening to you learn a crop as you scout it, and the farmers have produced bowls, they've protected those bowls, and then you see, you know, you get a moth flight, and worms start eating mm -hmm. all those bowls. Yeah. So they're eating into their livelihood, and with the uh, adoption of BT technology, that went away for the most part. Right. Yes, we still have, you know, occasional uh, populations where they have to be controlled, but... 
that's a, a no-brainer. I mean, it the the fields are so much cleaner, the bowls, the quality is so much higher. Tracy, the window of time to uh, take the worms out of the picture is narrow, and you know, the timeliness of being able to make those applications to have an effective uh, spray program to to take those yule robbing insects out of the picture. Uh, when it's already in the plant, it stops the action uh, immediately. And so, and by the way, the, the, the BT technology that's being referred to is, it was incorporated uh, from Bacillus, Bacillus thuringiensis, a, a soil bacteria. And so it's a protein that the uh, naturally occurring, naturally occurring protein that's not digestible. And uh, by the way, you know, you can buy this same technology in a container, uh, di diapel. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the same mode of action is, is available as a spray. But when the plant produces that and the, the insects feed on it, then they stop that destructive uh, action from happening. Yeah. And, uh, you can't be more timely than, than having it out there ready for them, yeah. right? And yeah, when they first start eating, yeah. yeah. And you, we would get into that, you know, it, we would knew, you know, we'd have an infestation of bollworms or budworms, and it just rained three inches. Yeah. So, how are you going to get into your fields? Those worms don't check up devouring your crops. I'll, I'll take it one step further. How many tomato growers do we have out there? And I'm talking about you gardeners. <laughs> Uh, that's trying to get some tomatoes, and you've got hornworms that are devouring your tomato plants. Don't know what I would pay for a hornworm-resistant tomato <laughs> plant, but it would get. I'd, 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 I'd fork out some cash for it. <laughs> so the, you know, the recommendation would be an application of diapel would be one of the things that you could do, and and uh, it's, it's the same exact active uh, ingredient that that that's in that diapel that that's taking them out in the form of uh, uh, BT and corn. BT and corn. Mm -hmm. so. Yep, and cotton. And, and cotton. It's used predominantly in the organic market to control uh, caterpillar pests as well. Yeah. So it's a naturally occurring bacteria that right. disrupts the life cycle of our caterpillar pests. So yeah. it's a, the BT technology incorporated into our agronomic crops has just been another game changer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's cut down a lot of insecticide sprays for farmers. Yes. Um, I had a thought, and I wanted to ask you all. We've mentioned some major agronomic crops that we grow here that have adopted uh, GMOs. What about some, and I get this question sometimes, so that's why I'm sort of asking this. What are some crops that are not GMOs that we continue to grow? The grain sorghum, I'm not aware of. Yeah, there's that's most crops that are not yeah, GMO. yeah. <laughs> Wheat, so, yeah. Wheat's another biggie. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm the county agent in Gibson County. We're the biggest wheat growing yeah. county in the uh, in the state. And and yeah. I Pump can tell you, if you've ever had uh, fall armyworm hit a wheat field, uh, it can disappear on you very rapidly. And if it had that technology, it would stop it in its tracks. But I'm glad you brought up wheat because that's used in a lot of products that we buy at the grocery store. And you will see that big non-GMO square on every box of pasta, loaf of bread, etc. 
And folks, that's what we were talking about. That's uh, taking advantage of the uninformed because wheat is not a GMO crop. Uh, not saying it will never be, but for right now, for days, you know, it's not. It's not at all. So just well, and, and, I, and that brings back to the point of, of the advertising. Uh, I think when you slap a, a non-GMO thing on there, it's it goes back to that uh, fear mongering. Uh, aspect it's not bad that it tells you that it's uh this or that i mean it's information that's on the label but when it doesn't exist period then it's it's needless yeah information yeah. it is it's silly yeah yeah it really is so let's let's kind of bring it home here and talk about what are some of the benefits that consumers realize because of gmos well, of course, a lot of the pharmaceuticals you take today uh, come from GMOs, so that's that's one of the real benefits. Um, and the other would be just lower overall food prices. So right, we need that these days. Well, and, and you go back to some of the, the basic education stuff that we do. Uh, the United States has the most affordable food source uh, on the planet. Yeah, and you know. When you look at what portion or percentage of a person's annual income goes to, towards food uh, and compare the United States to the rest of the world, uh, you need to be thankful right. that we have some of the most efficient uh, farm operations in the world. Uh, and the GMO pit part of that picture is playing a major role in uh, reducing costs. Now, when you when you consider uh, that, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> this will be a spoil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing would be, um, and just there's less pesticides being sprayed because yeah. of GMOs, so there's less chance of you know any kind of issue there. So that's that's another plus for 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 the consumers. Yeah, I don't know if we'll get into the pesticide application picture in an episode or not. It's definitely food for thought, but I just want people to realize like a real common rate is eight ounces, or think of a, a Coke can, twelve ounces on the area of the size of a football field. Yeah. The football field is roughly an acre. So we want you to be informed when you see, we see a lot of them in Western Tennessee, uh, big sprayers, planes, they're putting out a very small amount of product on a large acreage. So, and it's all out of need. It's never out of, you know, any other purpose. And there is a lot of sound science behind what uh, is being done. So, the 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 economics of a farm operation is you could say uh, a very small return for the investment you know it's not uncommon uh, for an operating loan to be in the millions and you know when when you look at the percentage return on investment it's very low not many businesses would uh, uh, <laughs> no. would operate even consider it yeah consider it so these people that are farming are uh, risk takers, but they're also very business astute, very science uh, oriented, very technologically advanced, and and they have uh, reason to be that because 
they've got a lot of money on the line to be able to uh, stay in business. Yeah. And and so these, the cost side of that picture uh, continues to go up. They buy on a re- they buy retail and they sell wholesale, and so that the whole scenario on the farm is is a challenge. And when you've got technologies like uh, GMO yeah. or uh, in the insect side of things, you know, the, the BT technologies that we have, they're game changers. Yeah. And we want, we want the general public to understand that we've been manipulating genetics. Uh, For thousands of years. Yes. So, so, you know, every living thing on this planet genetically modifies both itself and its environment. When a squirrel chooses one acorn from one oak over another and goes and buries it. It's genetically modified. Yeah, it's <laughs> the oaks. doing genetic selection. Yep. <laughs> so that's what we're talking about here. Uh, just another way to get there. Yep. And I will say GMOs is just, it's a, you mentioned the financial risk and how everything associated with the farm operations today. Well, um, it's a, it's a way to mitigate that risk and know that they have some protection out there already when they plant the seed. And uh, that, I think that's a win-win. Um, also, it's just another tool. GMOs are a tool in the toolbox for farmers to supply our food. It's wholesome. It's healthy. And uh, I just encourage you to read the science. Don't believe everything you, you see on the Internet. Yeah. If you're not afraid of the insulin that you're taking, you shouldn't be afraid of the, the food that you're consuming. Uh, I don't know of a single bit of data or, or uh information that would indicate that there's anything to be uh, fearful of. Right, right. That sounds like a good note to end on. Dr. Steckel, what do you have? No, I, no that's exactly right. <laughs> I just reiterate, they're very, very safe. We've been using them now widespread for 15 plus years. It's been nothing but positives come right. from that technology. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, thank you all. Thanks, Tracy.